Science communication. Inclusive science communication. You're listening to American Scientists, DEAI, ComSci, the Science for All podcast, where we aim to explore how science communicators are making science more reflexive, equitable, and engaging for audiences. In this episode, Building Science Curiosity Through Science Fiction, Film, and Videography, we'll hear from science communication leaders and filmmakers Rehana Maktoufi, known for her work on science curiosity, Thomas de France, my former Afrofuturism professor now teaching at Northwestern University, and Stephanie Castillo, a friend, science communicator, and videographer. I'm your host, Jordan Anderson. Before we begin, it's been two years since the July 2020 Black Lives Matter movements and the explosion of diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion initiatives that developed as a result. Since then, organizations across the nation have expanded the acronym DNI for diversity and inclusion to be more representative. So we are too. This podcast, DNI ComSci, will now be called DEAI ComSci. Now, on with the episode. your husband. I'm another version of him from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. In the film Everything Everywhere All at Once by Daniel Kwan, the plot capitalizes on a popular topic in science fiction today, the multiverse. The multiverse is a concept that, though abstract, is a real theory in modern science. And the film's title, Everything Everywhere All at Once, hints at what the term multiverse means. Max Tegmark, a physicist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, describes the multiverse a little more precisely. The space goes on forever, which means that there are infinitely many other regions like this, which you call the level one multiverse. It's a theoretical probability that if the universe is infinite, then you, me, and everyone has at least one doppelganger. That would mean there's someone who exists somewhere in the universe with the exact same anatomy and experiences as you, me, and everyone else. Meaning that everything also has a duplicate in the universe too. This multiverse idea has been popularized in many films, including the Marvel Cinema franchise. Discussion forums across the internet show just how much people are talking about the science in these movies in new, surprising, and sometimes even fearful ways. And that got me thinking. How can scientists and inclusive science communicators use science fiction movies to improve DEAI efforts, building science curiosity in our communities? I'm a fan of science curiosity. That's science communicator and media producer Rehana Maktoufi. First of all, the just normal reason of like, I think curiosity is fun. I'll be bored if I don't have that curiosity of exploring the world. I just think it's beautiful and there's so much just awe and beauty that happens just by being able to explore. And we know from research, when you have more curiosity, you're more likely to dedicate, you know, resources and energy to explore the world and to explore, to try to understand what the answers are. According to Google statistics, more people searched multiverse in May than any other time in 2022. That's when Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness came out. With this release came a flood of articles that further explore the speculative science in the movie, many of which from science-accredited sources like NPR and National Geographic. In turn, those articles prompted science curiosity. 
But is building curiosity enough for inclusive science communicators to reach new audiences, even those hesitant towards science? One of the things that I think really made me think about science curiosity and its importance in controversial topics is a study done by Dan Cahan and Ashley Landrum and some of their colleagues, which was about climate change communication and how people believe that there's the risk of climate change. This paper is titled Science Curiosity and Political Information Processing, and it was published in 2017. And this was also during the time where a lot of us were like, oh, if we just educate people about climate change, then they're going to change their mind and everything is going to be great and jolly and we're going to save humanity. Maktoufi says, in addition to looking at political partisanship, the researchers were also looking at people's level of education. Something that their study shows, and these are correlations, right? So we're not talking about causation and what caused what. One of the things that their study shows is that the higher educated you are, the more likely that you would be partisan about what you believe with climate change. So for example, I might think that if a person is highly educated, they would believe in the risk of climate change. But what they show is that if you're a highly educated Republican, you're more likely to disagree with the risk of climate change, like way more than someone that has less education. And if you're a highly educated Democrat, you're way more likely to believe in the risk of climate change compared to someone that has less education and is a Democrat. One interpretation that researchers had was that well-educated people were better at coming up with reasons to defend their political views that they already had. So education level was not a good indicator of people's beliefs about climate change. Okay, so if it's not education, then let's look at something else. So the other thing they looked at was science curiosity. And that was like, you know, how likely I am to like go consume news that is about science. And what that showed is that if you're science curious, you're actually more likely to believe in the risk of climate change. And that includes within your political partisanship. So if you're a Republican that is more science curious, you're more likely to believe in the risk of climate change right, compared to your other Republican friend that might be less science curious. So there's something to that idea that like this, this science curiosity is very correlated with us looking for information that is counter to what we believe and being open to that. So maybe what's happening is building up science curiosity prompts people to look up scientific facts for themselves just like I and millions of other people did in looking up the multiverse on Google after seeing a science fiction film on that subject. Maktoufi says science fiction can easily catch our attention, building off of our emotions, like our fears. I think science fiction builds really well off of our fears, and things that we expect might happen. So one of the questions people would ask a lot during the sessions at the, I was at the Adler Planetarium collecting my data and might feel like the topic was science curiosity and what are the kind of questions people ask. And something that would come up is like Armageddon. Armageddon was a popular science film from 1998. And it was like, so... There was this asteroid coming to Earth. What should we do if that happens? It's science fiction, but it's something that we all still worry about. It's still very relevant because even though it's not as likely, if it happens, it is the end of the world in some ways. 
In addition to fear, Maktoufi also mentioned people are science curious about the potential of the future, like the possibility of visiting or living on other planets such as Mars. The Martian was one film that explored that idea. We do have conversations about, you know, going to Mars and living on Mars and how that's going to affect us. So people do ask questions about, you know, what about like the Martian was realistic or not? Is like, can we can we do that at some point? And I think, yeah, the more these things are becoming a part of life as we know it, whether it's about an asteroid hitting us or us wanting to just like all move to Mars, they become more realistic, right? Like there have always been conversations about things like aliens and UFOs and are they real or not? Are they like amongst us? So these are the kind of things people are very curious about. And some of it not because it's necessarily important, but because it's surprising and new and novel. And I think novelty is also something else that gets people very excited. Maktoufi also said something that made me think science documentaries and other science fact-based filmography can also use novelty to their advantage. So you could be curious about something that is not even relevant to you or important in your life where you're like, oh, this is a completely new idea. And science fiction does that really well. I think maybe with Matrix. That was something very new, that it was a theme that then suddenly everyone was like, oh my God, what if I'm in a simulation, right? It's still fiction, but it's kind of related to me and it's very novel and then suddenly it makes you think very differently about the world. Thinking very differently about the world that we live in is how Maktoufi says inclusive science communicators can foster science curiosity in more diverse spaces. I'm Iranian, right? As, as an Iranian, like we are very obsessed with poetry. We all grew up on poetry. So something that like induces awe in me, like makes me want to cry and like feel like small and insignificant a lot of times is just like reading poetry. And just taking that, this idea of something like awe, is not necessarily something that we all experience all for the same things. And it depends on where we're coming from, what our culture is. I think the same goes with curiosity. We a lot of times think of like, oh, this is a standard for curiosity. But that's because it was always the same people who had this knowledge gatekeeping of like, this is all I know. And now I can make you curious. But when we bring in different people that have different knowledge and have different access to knowledge and have different experiences, they might also know who are the different communities that would be curious about different topics. And Maktoufi says people with diverse backgrounds need to be behind the camera too. So it's not just that, oh, I'm going to make a film about diverse scientists, right? Because that's just my perception of like, oh, this is science and these are all diverse scientists that I'm showing you. But it's also who's behind the camera that decides these are the narratives that matter. And these are the ways people would be curious and the topics people would be curious. And I'm going to show you the diversity in front of the camera. But those base important decisions are made by the people who are behind the camera, the people who are writing the science communication scripts, who are hosting podcasts, right? And that matters a lot. So representation is a great thing that helps us kind of open out space for people to be excited to participate. That's Thomas DeFrance. I'm a professor in the departments of performance studies and theater at Northwestern University. More importantly, 
I direct the Slippage Lab, and the Slippage Lab is focused on deploying new technologies towards theatrical storytelling as well as alternative history making, where we world make using technology, performance, and culture as vectors to think differently about a future that we might all want to share. Star Trek The Next Generation is a future some people want to share. But DeFrance says creator and screenwriter Gene Roddenberry imagined a future in a way that lots of science fiction does, placing people of color in situations where they're less than human. So an obvious example is Geordi on Star Trek. And for, I don't know, years, this character couldn't have eyes. Geordi, played by LeVar Burton, was blind with his eyes hidden until season four, episode 24 in 1991, roughly four years. You know, there was not really a reason for that. Maybe the writers thought he was more of a, a kind of futuristic Black person, you know, who was embedded in technology himself. But what that, that imagery does to us is it, it puts us in an old trope where we're not quite human, we're not going to ever have romance. And, you know, Jordy, I don't know if he ever had a plot, you know, around romance or the things that might drive human interaction. Of course, in the original Star Trek, which was produced back in the 1960s, Gene Roddenberry also introduced the world to the character Niota Uhura, a supporting role played by Nichelle Nichols. The France says the rise of science fiction in the 1960s corresponds with the rise of the civil rights movement. And the rise of science fiction also meant the rise of people of color in the spaces of uh, scientists and engineers and medical assistants so that there was this way that even as these movies from the 60s still had kind of a, a center of a kind of white masculinity. So if we think about movies like Soylent Green or The Andromeda Strain or 2001 A Space Odyssey, you know, there's a kind of whiteness at the center of all these movies. But in many of these movies, there are also Black femme, Black women, Black men who are the scientists and engineers who are supporting the plot and are, you know, inevitably sort of important characters in the movies. DeFrance said that kind of representation of people of color continued in fits and starts until Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler. This emphasized the point that Maktoufi made about putting people of color behind the camera, too. And, you know, we finally get a full-fledged, fully budgeted Hollywood movie that's centered on um, a Black population that's entirely science fiction based, but where we have a young Black woman as the lead, you know, engineer and uh, the, the, the kind of the smartest person on the planet is one of the, the female characters in this movie. And so we kind of see the other end, if you will, of things that started in the 1960s civil rights movement. So we want to be really suspicious of storytelling that places people of color into roles that are subservient and also non-human that deny us a, a basic humanity and an ability to change our minds, to be unsure, to make really great decisions and solve things, but also to make mistakes, to fall in love um, and to be confused. I mean, we need all of those things to be in the media that um, is helping us imagine forward towards a, a science that we all share. But is science fiction really the venue for imagining a science reality that we all share? 
Stephanie Castillo works on nonfiction science documentaries. I recently earned my PhD in science communication, where I researched representation and storytelling narratives in science media. Castillo specifically studied the types of science stories that attract young adults and college students. I was specifically looking into how do we tell science stories and what actually gets young adults and early college students like attracted to these science stories and whether that is focusing on the research element of the science or focusing on the people aspect of the science. With those two categories, focusing on the research or focusing on the people, does it really matter if the science story is fictional or not? Castillo says it's the story craft itself that really captures the audience's attention with industry practice, their goal is to make sure that they're actually producing something that people want to watch and going to recommend other people to watch so they can make the money back from like what they invested in, in terms of like producing the Hollywood film and, you know, actually creating a story that's actually captivating and people actually understand the characters and like their arc and the story that they're trying to tell. Those are the same kind of elements that we see in the terms of practice of like science filmmaking. But I guess we have a different call to action that some other practicing science communicators would do. So coming back to kind of like the conservation efforts or like advocacy efforts, like if the goal is to get people to sign up to petition to something or to advocate for legislation or to change policies, that is a different outcome that they're seeking rather than just to entertain someone with a good story. And so when it comes to promoting diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion, Castillo says it all comes down to intentionality. It's either through like who is behind the camera, who is in front of the camera, like how are you presenting the people that are being presented or even the science that's being presented? Are we being culturally sensitive? Are we actually trying to not project our own biases or stereotypes into the stories that we're trying to tell or even the way that we represent the scientists in front of the camera? And so it really comes down to by being intentional and thinking about these things, then that's the way that we're reducing the same formulas that we kind of fall trap into in terms of if we're looking at documentaries to be inspired by, it's always like the white male narrator talking us through these like beautiful photos, the whole, you know, the person that's in front of them, it looks like <laughs> it's like, you know, a white, an older white British guy talking about this or like the people behind the camera is like a whole team of like, one type of demographic. And so there is been a bigger push to kind of have more diversity behind the camera and by having that diversity behind the camera, then we know that there's different perspectives in the room to kind of make sure that we're pushing the intentionality of how we represent the people in front of the camera and whose stories we decide to tell and how we decide to tell those stories. With science fiction, then, it's easier to focus on the story craft because the story doesn't have to be true. But because our goal as inclusive science communicators is to foster science curiosity, the science presented should not fall into the realm of science fantasy. And that's where we have our problem. This engine has stalled. The core of the Earth has stopped spinning. The movie The Core, in which scientists travel to the center of the Earth, is full of fantasy. And in a paper by Michael Barnett, Heather Wagner, and others, the researchers found the movie The Core gave students at a diverse middle school several inaccurate understandings about Earth science. When science fiction isn't all that believable, audiences and the general public move away. Again, Thomas DeFrance at Northwestern University. An example like the movie The Core is a kind of science fiction that most people just don't know anything about. So while it was science fiction, it was also a bit of fantasy, and most of the audience have no idea what the Earth's crust is put together of. 
so the movie could still be successful for its action and adventure. So I think it's really a question of science fiction being a bit different from fantasy. Science fiction, to be successful, wants to build on good science, while fantasy does something else. Audiences are drawn to science fiction when it seems plausible and actually builds from science that most people know to be robustly figured. Science fiction is definitely better when it stays very close to science. This is why we like the television show Black Mirror so much. It builds on things we already know to be in motion and then stretches what they can do just enough to make an interesting TV show. Now, you may be thinking, wait, Black Mirror? I find that show depressing and disturbing. A lot of people do. And so for those of us interested in communicating science to inspire curiosity and improve DEAI efforts, media producer Rehana Maktoufi says we should aim to leave our audiences with something positive. If not a solution, then a recommendation, hope, or potential course ahead. So something that we do know is if you constantly bring up themes that are negative and about doom and gloom, we see that a lot of times with climate change communication. It is like, well, the world is ending. Here's you can be curious about it because we're telling you how it ends. But what happens is as humans, when we get so much negativity and so much bad news and doom and gloom, you at some point start ignoring the news, right? And you feel that helplessness. So you might just like switch off or you might go into denial. That's why it's very important. I think you cannot just have narratives of doom and gloom, even if they're curiosity inducing. You have to have narratives of hope and action that you can pair with those that it's like, hey, be curious about this because it's happening and it's happening in your backyard and it's happening right now, this climate change thing. But be curious also about this really cool, new, mind-blowing solutions that we have that are doable and we, we, we have the ability to make them happen. You want to learn more about those, right? So you need to pair them up together because otherwise, if you just have the doom and gloom, right, it's like, then I'll just be helpless and it, it might even backfire. But if you have them connected together, then I understand the urgency of it. And I also want to do something about it because I know I can do something about it. And if something about it means for you making your own science videos, science communicator Stephanie Castillo says there are a lot of inexpensive ways to enter the field, including borrowing or renting equipment. There's a bunch of like tutorials on YouTube that kind of walk you through that process. And so I taught myself how to use Adobe Premiere Pro and After Effects to make animations. And that's how I kind of made my first video, which is pretty exciting. And then um, I sought out opportunities at my university. It was like a digital humanities fellowship. And the fellowship was to give you like um, a couple hundred dollars just to kind of like develop an idea. And so I pitched to them future doctors and that's where I was able I was paired with an education department on campus that already had like a built-in like video studio there. And so I was able to use your facilities to kind of like host my first science video and get some money to pay for like the Adobe subscription and stuff like that. And Castillo adds, there's room for your voice too. It may feel like there's oversaturation of people on YouTube, but like we need more different types of voices and stories to be covered. So just to pick up the camera and just try it. In today's information saturated world where false advertisement and misinformation are commonplace, by being science curious, we are motivated to seek out the facts about the world we live in, the medications we should take and the risks associated with our daily lives. 
In this podcast, we've learned how science fiction can be a medium to build science curiosity by bringing us into new, surprising, and sometimes even scary universes that stem from the scientific possibilities of today. We've also learned it's also important for us to stay aware of who is communicating these messages. Do we only think about diversity from those who we see in front of the camera? Or are we also thinking about diversity in those behind the camera doing the filmmaking? This episode of DEAI ComSci has been brought to you by American scientist Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society, and was edited by Robert Frederick. For links to the studies mentioned in this episode, as well as a transcript, please visit americanscientist.org and look for the blog post that accompanies this podcast. Special thanks to Rehana Maktoufi, Thomas DeFrance, and Stephanie Castillo for joining us today. Today's music choices come from Everything Everywhere All at Once, Amy Waters' Star Trek The Next Generation main theme, The Martian, The Core, The Matrix, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Black Panther's Pray For Me, instrumental version by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar, Epidemic Sound, and The Free Music Archive. Please be sure to check out Maktoufi's TED Talk where she further discusses science curiosity, slippage by Dr. DeFrance, and Castillo's future doctors. If you like what you heard today, follow American Scientist and follow me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Artsai. I'm your host, Jordan. Thanks for listening.